This past Tuesday, we had a Presbytery meeting, and at that meeting at Harvest Presbyterian in Willow Street, the pastor there, Jim Fury, described the gospel as the greatest story ever told about the greatest person who ever lived with the greatest offer ever given. And I appreciated that, and I've been thinking about that all week, and and about our study of Romans, and that really is what our study of Romans, this book, will be about. And I hope that you'll see it today, and that you'll see it throughout our study together. Uh, Martin Luther was a man whose life was changed by his study of this book, as the Holy Spirit worked in his heart. And he said of this book, the chief purpose of this letter is to magnify sin and destroy all human wisdom and righteousness to bring down all those who are proud and arrogant on account of their work. We need to break down our inner satisfaction. God does not redeem us through our own, but through external righteousness and wisdom. Not through one that comes from us and grows in us, but through one that comes to us from the outside. Not through one that originates here on earth, but through one that comes down from heaven. And he's describing the gospel, the righteousness that comes to us outside of us from our Savior Jesus Christ. The greatest story ever told about the greatest person who ever lived with the greatest offer ever given. The gospel of God. Now in this opening section, Paul expresses his obligation and his eagerness to preach the gospel. Or we might say his duty and his desire to preach the gospel to those in Rome. And as he does so, we learn some of the basics of what it means to belong to Jesus Christ, to be a beloved member of the family of God, and of how this great news of the gospel actually changes our lives. Right? We don't, we don't change in order to come to Christ, but as Christ brings us to his, into his family, he does change us. And here we see some of the ways that he changes us. In this opening section, we also see Paul's heart His example as a pastor, we see how pastors and elders in the church are to care for the family of God, but we also see how we as brothers and sisters in the family are to care for one another. So we'll see four basics this morning. Thanksgiving, prayer, incarnational service, and then also gospel preaching. So we begin with thanksgiving. Last week I mentioned that Paul wrote 13, at least 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And in nearly all of those 13 letters that Paul wrote, he begins with thanksgiving. And Paul's gratitude is always centered around or grounded in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So here's a few examples. From 1 Corinthians, he starts, I give thanks to God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians, he says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and of your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. In Philippians, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In Colossians, we always thank God when we pray for you since or because We have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints. First Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope 
and our Lord Jesus Christ. And Second Thessalonians, he says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And then finally here today in Romans chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul says, first, and if you were listening or you're looking, there's no second or third. So when he says first, what he's saying is, I have to start by saying this. Let's begin in this way. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So Paul thanks God for the church at Rome, for the saints in Rome. And he's not only thankful for them, he's thankful for their faith. But he's not only thankful for their faith, he is thankful that their faith is spreading. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed in all the world. So people were hearing about their faith in Jesus. They were hearing that there was this group of people in Rome in a place that was the center of emperor worship. But they were not worshiping the emperor. They were worshiping the one true God. They were following Jesus in the midst of opposition, in the midst of persecution. Beloved, I would encourage you today to make it a practice to read the updates that we receive from the missionaries that we support here uh, in our church, to pray for them and to give thanks to God for them. You will be encouraged and you will give thanks to God for his work, for the spread of the gospel. You'll, you'll feel a little bit of what Paul is feeling and writing here. This opening that he gives makes me think of the updates that we receive from David and Elise. So they are serving in a part of the world that is hostile to the Christian faith. And yet when you read their updates, you will hear how their faith is being proclaimed in all that land. And that will encourage your own faith and it will lead you to give thanks to God. His kingdom is growing. People all over the world are hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ and their lives are being changed. And when you give thanks to God for that, God will be glorified in your life. Thanksgiving is basic to Christianity, but why? Why is Thanksgiving so important, so basic in the life of the Christian? Well, because Thanksgiving is a tangible way that we express our understanding of the gospel, our trust in the gospel, our belief in the truth of the gospel. And Thanksgiving is a tangible way that we express our dependence on God for salvation. Beloved, Thanksgiving gratitude to God is in the heart of every believer. If you know the love of Jesus, he has put thanksgiving in your heart. And when you give thanks to God, you acknowledge that you are the recipient of grace and mercy. You acknowledge that this wonderful salvation that has changed your life now and forever is not something that you earned or deserved, but God in his mercy gave you. His is the kingdom. We are the guests. The scriptures say, what do you have that you did not receive? And maybe you have heard theologians say that the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that you need to be saved from. Faith itself is a gift from God. Paul, in his letter to the church at Ephesus, he makes that so clear. In that famous passage, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It couldn't be more clear, could it? We can't boast of salvation. We can only say, thank you, thank you, thank you. So beloved, the next time someone asks you, how how are you? Instead of saying, good, fine, try saying, I'm better than I deserve. I'm better than I deserve. That is always true for every believer, no matter what your present circumstances may be. You know, how many times have you been talking with a believer and they are going through hard times and they can acknowledge that? We can be honest about that. We ought to, but they also give thanks to God. And you are so encouraged because you know the hard time they're going through. I mentioned Greg Bretz recently, one of our dear brothers in Christ. He's at the Middletown home. He's under hospice care, and uh, he longs to be with Jesus. But if you go and you talk to Greg, not only will he be focused on you and ask you how you are doing, but you will hear him give thanks to God. And you will be so encouraged in your faith. You'll see in practice what Paul's talking about here in the book of Romans. Or if you go and visit our dear beloved sister Jody Coyman, and she is suffering from cancer. And you ought to pray for Gray, and you ought to pray for Jody specifically. Uh, tomorrow she needs to make a decision. She'd like to hear she needs to make a decision on the next stage of treatment. Uh, for her. So pray that God would give her wisdom. It would be the right course. But if you go and you visit Jody, who is indeed suffering, you will hear her give thanks to God. And you will see her faith and her trust in Christ Jesus. Or if you talk with our dear sister, Mary Hostetter, and some of you know that both of her parents are suffering and declining health, and she is trying to care from, for them, and she is experiencing opposition and oppression as she strives to do that. It is so hard and so difficult for her. Pray for Mary and for her parents, but you will hear her in the midst of that give thanks to God for his faithfulness to her, and she is trusting in the Lord. And that will encourage your faith. Beloved, I thank my God for the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's being spread all throughout central Pennsylvania. Praise the Lord. Beloved, a Christian can always say, we can always say with honesty that we are better than we deserve. Now, why can we say that? Because we know what we deserve. And we know the incredible gift that we have been given. And we know what it cost our Father in heaven to give us that gift. We know that we are the wretch the song refers to. Right? Some of you have heard me share the gospel in this way before. But we are the wretch the song refers to, that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So what are we saying when we sing that song? No, so many people in the world sing that song. But what are we actually saying? We're saying we know that we were born in sin. And apart from the amazing grace of God, our hearts are prone to evil. And we know that because of that, our sin has rightfully earned us the wrath of God. We deserve God's righteous and just punishment to be separated from him in hell forever. If that is what we received, God would be perfectly just. It's what we deserve. So that's what we acknowledge. We are the wretch the song refers to. But we also know that although that is what we deserve, we have an incredibly bright 
future. It could not be any better or any different from what we deserve. So although hell is what we deserve, that is not what we have or what we will receive from God. Why? Because God has been merciful to us. He didn't owe it to us, but he has. Out of his love and his grace, he's been merciful to us. He gave his own son, Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless, undefiled lamb of God. He always did what pleased his father. He had no sin of his own, but he gave his own son to die in our place so that in his death on the cross, Jesus, the eternal son of God, took the punishment for all my sin, for all your sin, all that you deserved. He took in his own body on the tree so we can be forgiven. He has taken that weight, that burden of sin off of our shoulders and embraced it on his own so we can be free from that burden and we can enjoy new life and fellowship with God forever. Because Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God, he died a sacrificial death on the cross. He was raised to life again in victory over sin and death and the devil. We who have faith in Christ today, we are united to him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And we enjoy new life and fellowship with Jesus right now. And it's a fellowship that will last forever. We will live and reign with him in his eternal kingdom. We have an incredibly bright future. Amen? And the good news is, anyone, anyone can get in on this. Faith is a gift from God that is offered to all without exception. So that if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, you too will receive this gift from God and you'll be able to say in truth at all times, I'm better than I deserve. Beloved, this is a simple summary of the gospel that you can all learn and share with those you know. I am the wretch the song refers to. There's the opportunity to talk about sin and the guilt that we have. I have an incredibly bright future. There's an opportunity to talk about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for you, the grace God has shown you. Anyone can get in on this, an opportunity to call people to respond to this great good news and live lives of gratitude. When you know and you believe the gospel, you give thanks to God. You give thanks to God for his people and for their faith being proclaimed in all the world, and you also pray for them. So this is our second basic prayer. Verse 9, Paul says, for God is my witness. He's saying God knows. God sees in secret. This is actually a form of an oath here that Paul's saying. God is my witness. I am speaking the truth in Christ. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Now, this is another regular in Paul's letters. If you read his letters, you will hear him often saying how he prays for people. You will actually see, often he'll tell us what he prays. And those are wonderful prayers for us to pray for one another. We include references in our worship guide each week, pointing us to many of these prayers from Paul to pray for one another. But prayer is fundamental to being a Christian. It is another gift from God. Through prayer, Jesus has invited you and me who know him to enjoy the fellowship that he has always shared with his father. That's what we do when we pray. We are enjoying fellowship with God who made us and loves us and gave himself for us. So when we pray, we enjoy God. And we also know that he hears us and that he will answer us. And so we pray for one another. 
Beloved, I would encourage you to pray for one another here by name. As your pastor, this is one of my main callings from God and his word. I am to devote myself to prayer and the ministry of the word. And that uh, session update, there's a note there about how uh, session approved a job description for me. So the last eight years, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. (laughs) And we finally put it to paper. But one of the things on there is I am to pray for you. And so I strive to do that. I'm I'm to aim to faithfully pray for you. And my aim is to pray for every one of you by name every week. It's in my job description. It's my duty, but it's also my delight. I have to, but oh no, beloved, I get to. It's my privilege, my joy to pray for you. We begin our session meetings with prayer for you by name as we get to know you and we learn the needs that you have. We are bringing you before the throne of our great Father in heaven. And I would encourage you to join us in prayer for one another. That's a great use of the church directory if you have one. If you don't, we'd be glad to give you one. You can see names and faces and just pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here. Ask people how you can pray for them. Tell them that you are praying for them. Or even stop right then and pray for them. That happened to me last Sunday. You know, as we were gathering before the service started and we were having that commissioning service for our daughter Molly about to send her off to Ethiopia. She made it safe. She's had a good first week. Thank you for praying for her. But Debbie Swanson stopped me before the service. How are you feeling? And she said, let me pray for you right now. And she did. That was such an encouragement to me. Yesterday, we're at the men's retreat, and I was talking with my brother Richard Gerace, and I asked if I could pray for him, and I prayed for him. And after I was done, he's like, can I pray for you? And he prayed for me right there. It was so encouraging. And I thank you, Richard, for that. It's, it's something that we can do. We can stop, not just say, hey, yes, I will pray for you. Do it right there. You can even do that with unbelievers. Tell them you're praying for them and pray for them as a witness to Christ. Well, Paul prayed for the saints in Rome without ceasing, and he tells us at least one of his requests here. So verse 10, he's asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So Paul wants to visit these Christians in Rome, and this is our third basic, and I call it incarnational service. Incarnational service. So as believers... When we, heard, when we hear that word, incarnation, what do we think of? We think of Jesus Christ, right? God in the flesh. Jesus incarnating a human body. Him coming to be with us. So three times in this opening section, Paul expresses his desire to visit these saints. To physically be with them. Like we're together right now. So he can see them. He can touch them. He can talk to them. In verse 10 he says, His prayers to succeed in coming to you. Verse 11, I long to see you. Verse 13, I've often intended to come to you. So he tells us what he wants, and then he also tells us why. Why does he want to see them? Why does he want to be with them? Why does he want to come to them? Verse 11, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Verse 13, that I may reap some harvest among you. Verse 14, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. So Paul wants to visit them for their good, that they may be encouraged, that they both may be encouraged and comforted in their faith. He wants to serve them, to strengthen them, to reap a harvest among them. He wants to see spiritual fruit in their lives. Now when Paul says that he wants to impart some spiritual gift to them, he's not not necessarily thinking of, a spiritual gift in the way that we might normally think of, like a, a unique gift from the Holy Spirit to us that we are to use to build up the body. 
but more as a spiritual gift for the purpose of bearing spiritual fruit in general to encourage them and strengthen them, that the Holy Spirit would work through his coming to them and his preaching of the gospel among them to build them up in their faith. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. And so Paul here is following the example of his Savior. And Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's what he's doing. He's setting the example for us. This incarnational service is not limited to only pastors or elders. All believers are to follow Christ in this way. It's basic to what it means to be a Christian. To want to be with God's people to serve them, to care for them, for their good, so that they will grow and so that you will grow. That's what happens when God's people come together. They mutually benefit for mutual encouragement and support. So listen, listen, kids, here's a way you might think about this. Some of you already know this. In science class, you might learn this, or maybe you've had, you'll, you'll learn about symbiotic relationships, right? These close, long-term interactions between two different species. And apparently, I didn't know, apparently there's three different kinds of symbiotic relationships. Not all of them are good. So we're talking about the good kind, the the mutualistic symbiotic relationship. And you hear that word, mutualistic? That they might be mutually encouraged. Both parties will benefit. So there's a great example in the movie Finding Nemo. It's one of my wife's favorite movies. Right? So you have Marlin, and you have his son, Nemo, the clownfish. And where do they live? They live in a sea anemone. That's a really hard word to say. I had to practice it. A sea anemone. And sea anemone, they have poisonous arms. So they sting other fish, like dory. But they don't sting clownfish. So they live together, and the clownfish is protected by the anemone. And not only that, but they also can eat the leftovers from the anemone's meals. So they are fed, and they are protected. But the anemone benefits also from the clownfish, because the clownfish serves as the housekeeper, and the bodyguard, and the chef for the anemone. They also remove harmful parasites. They scare away predators, and they also provide nutrients. So by being together, they mutually benefit. This is how we, as Christians, are to live together. And God has given us an example in creation to show us, hey, listen, this is how you are to live, to benefit one another, to be incarnational, being together, in person, serving one another. Beloved, is that how you view This body, the people here, our local church. These are the people that God has brought you together to be together with to serve. Now this is difficult in the world we live in because it's so easy in our world to develop a consumerist mindset, right? When you're looking for something, you want to get the best deal at the lowest cost. That's how I shop. How can I find the best deal at the lowest cost? Costs. Where can I get the most and give the least? But that's not what it means to be a blood, blood-bought member of the body of Christ, the family of God. That's not what that's about. And beloved, if we bring that attitude, that approach to life in the church, that consumerist mindset, we need to repent. We need to reorient our lives around Jesus and ask for the Spirit to strengthen us to serve one another. God calls you to incarnational service. So who can you encourage? 
look outward in service, not only inward in need. Beloved, you are here to love and care for one another. Because you have received the love of Christ, you're able to do that. Because you have the spirit of the living and loving and serving Jesus Christ living in you, he can empower you to care for one another. And he'll do that. He already did that for me this morning. So as the pastor, I get to choose the hymns that we sing. We try to rotate through different ones, but one of my favorites is Man of Sorrows, What a Name. One of the reasons it's my favorites is it's a clear proclamation of the gospel. And it rhymes. It's easy to remember. But this morning, my brother Forrest was singing that song. And it was so encouraging to me. I said, I could go home right then to hear him. How old is my brother Forrest? Four? Five? Six? Six. And I was so glad you sat in the front this morning. Because he was belting out, hallelujah. What a savior. I was encouraged by one of our youngest members this morning. Praise the Lord. That's what he brings us together for. So we can hear one another sing. We can talk to one another. We can build one another up. That we would be mutually encouraged and comforted by our faith. Beloved, God saved you to be part of a family, be part of a body. Not just to grow on your own, but to grow together with others in his family. You have gifts and strengths that we need. So thank you, Forrest. I needed to hear that from you this morning. Thank you. And that's why we emphasize every member ministry here at Proclamation. We said this morning, all are welcome, all are needy, and all are needed. So what are, what are some ways that we can do this? You've heard me say this occasionally. Simple way, come early and stay late. On a Sunday, you know, Sunday's the one day of the week that we get together, we gather for this worship. So try to discipline yourself, come a little early. I know you can't always do that. There are difficulties you face, I understand that. But in a general encouragement, as you're able, come early. Get to know people, talk with them, pray with and for them. Stay a little late afterwards if you're able. Talk to people, get to know with them, pray for them. That's where you learn their needs. Or get involved in a community group. It's a wonderful way to get to know these people and to pray for them and to love them and to serve them. We are called to incarnational service. So Paul, he wanted to get to Rome. Did he ever get to Rome? This is what he prayed. Somehow, by God's will, I may come to you. So Paul was submissive to the will of God. It's a wonderful way to pray. Sometimes our prayers are not answered in the way we want. Even though we have good desires, we have good intentions. Paul wanted to go there so he could preach the gospel. He had a good desire, a good intention. But sometimes they're not answered the way we want because God has even better plans. We just don't know it. So we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Paul prayed, somehow by God's will. And when he prayed, he had no idea what God's will would be to bring him to Rome. You know how he finally got to Rome? He didn't carpool with his friends. He didn't take the private car on the fastest train. He was taken in chains as a prisoner when he was on trial for his life, which meant if that trial didn't go for him, he would be put to death. This is how he got to Rome. And you know what he did? He rejoiced. He gave thanks to God. God answered his prayer. He got to Rome. Why was he able to rejoice? Because he was captive to the glory of God. 
because remember last week, he had an encounter with the risen living Jesus because, because Paul knew that he was the wretch the song refers to, but he all of a sudden had this incredibly bright future because of what Jesus had done for him. So now everything that Paul did was for the sake of the name of his Savior, Jesus Christ, and he trusted in the goodness of Jesus. And he relied on his wisdom and submitted to his goodwill. And because his duty and his delight were met in his chains. Because he all of a sudden got to preach the gospel to people he never would have met before. Those prison guards. And Paul just, he didn't care. I'll preach the gospel to whoever I'm with. If, it's, if I'm in prison, it's going to be you. And so he preached the gospel to those prison guards, but also to the believers in Rome. So we come to our final fourth basic in this passage, gospel preaching. Or if you want to think about it more simply, just talking about Jesus. Gospel preaching or talking about Jesus. So verse 14, Paul says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now this obligation that Paul says he's under, this compulsion, this duty, It came from his Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was the one who called Paul out of his darkness, out of reliance on his own self-righteousness, and into the light, into the truth. And so he showed Paul, he showed Paul the truth of both who Paul was and who Jesus was. And he brought him out of death into life. And then he called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He was to preach the gospel to those who did not know Jesus, to those who had never heard of Jesus. So Paul says, he's under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. There, that Greeks, that refers to those who spoke Greek, those who adopted Greek culture in this Grecan Roman world. We might say the civilized, but the barbarian refers to those who were outside of the Greek culture. And really, the whole point of this basically is Paul saying, listen, I'm under obligation to preach the gospel to everybody, to all, no matter what, Remember, all are welcome. doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what you've been through. Paul says the gospel's for you. And I have this obligation to bring the gospel to all without distinction. Distinction of nationality, distinction of cultural development, it doesn't matter. Anyone can get in on this. That's what Paul's saying. And it's my joy, my duty, my delight to preach the gospel to you. So yes, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. And he gives himself to that calling while also knowing that he is under divine obligation to preach the gospel to all, to anyone and everyone, as he has the opportunity. Now, this is not only an obligation for Paul, a duty. It's also his great desire and his great delight. So, beloved, sometimes we will preach the gospel out of duty. Sometimes it will be out of duty. We just resumed our outreach team. We had a great meeting this past uh, Thursday I invite more of you to join us in that as we seek to be faithful in talking to people about Jesus. And Nikki Arnold was sharing with us uh, a recent experience that she had. I'd encourage you to talk to Nikki. She can tell you more about it. I'll briefly summarize it, but just spend time with Nikki. She loves Jesus, and she loves to tell people about Jesus. When you're around people like that, it encourages you to tell other people about Jesus. But so she's at a store, right? She's, She's going to buy something, and As she's engaging with the person working there, the person wasn't in a very good mood, to put it nicely. And um, and Nikki carries tracks with her, and she was, you know, gives them out to everybody. She'd think, "I'm going to give one to this person," but oh, maybe not. 
Maybe not this person. They don't seem too happy today. It's a little intimidating. But as she's there at the, at the register, the track fell out of her purse. And it was on the counter. She quick grabs it, puts it back in her purse. I don't want her to see that. And then when she goes to pay, it falls out of her purse again. And then she's like, all right, Lord. I think you want me to give this to this lady. And she does. And, and even though the lady had been rude and did not seem interested at all, said, thank you. Thank you so much. I need this. So sometimes we share the gospel we might not really want to in the moment, but we do it out of duty. We do it out of obedience to Christ and trusting in him. But we also do it out of delight. We also do it out of delight. Paul is eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. Who's he writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who already know the gospel, right? You can't be a believer if you don't know the gospel. He's writing to believers, so he's saying he's eager to preach the gospel to those who already know and love Jesus. Why? Because, beloved, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not only for when we first come to faith. It is also necessary to grow in faith, to walk daily in the truth, to sustain us in and through suffering. We need to know over and over again the truth of who Jesus is, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is what is is of first importance in our lives. Paul wanted to visit the saints in Rome. He wanted to engage in incarnational service for their good, to strengthen them, to see spiritual fruit in their lives. And the way that that would come about would be through the preaching of the gospel. Through talking to them again and again and again about who Jesus is, what he has done for them, what he has promised to do for them. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it's a series of questions and answers, just kind of a summary of what the Bible teaches. And in one of those answers, it says that God uses the preaching of the word to build you, his people, up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. I think we printed that on the inside cover of our worship guide today. God uses the preaching of the word to build you up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So this is what hearing about Jesus will do. This is what growing in your understanding of the gospel will do for you, beloved. It will help you grow in holiness. It will help you grow in obedience to God and your devotion to God. And it will comfort you in your suffering and your sorrow. So here are two great questions for you to ask yourself today or really anytime we gather together for worship or maybe even in your own private reading of the scriptures. First of all, how does this message and the preaching of the gospel, how does it comfort you? What comfort do you find in these truths today? And I'd also encourage you to ask yourself, who can I tell? I've been comforted by this. Who else might be comforted by this? We are to seek to mutually encourage and comfort one another. So that's one question. And the second is this. How does this message or the preaching of the gospel call you to holiness, to obedience? And then also, who can you tell? Who might help you walk in obedience to these truths that you have heard today? We need one another to encourage one another. We know, listen, all of you who know know and love Jesus today, we all have the same desire. We want to honor and glorify Jesus with our lives. But there are many obstacles. But we all want that same thing. And we can help one another toward that goal. When I have an an obstacle, I can't seem to get over it, I might ask one of you, come alongside me, pray for me, help me 
Ask me about these things. Encourage me. So that's what we can do. How am I to grow in holiness? Who might help me do that? Paul was eager to preach the gospel. I thank the Lord. I was going to ask this question. I was going to ask, are you eager to receive it? I don't even have to ask that. I say, thank you, Lord, that I have a congregation that is eager to hear and receive the gospel. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for his work in your hearts and your lives, that he's made you eager. Are we eager to share it with others? We are. We are eager. It might be hard. I'll share with you, with you one of my greatest weaknesses in this area. Probably the greatest obstacle to me sharing the gospel with others. My lack of faith. I, I look at people and I say, I don't think they want to hear it. Or I think they're just going to say no. So that, pray for me, beloved, that God would give me an open door, like Paul said, give me an open door for the gospel, and then courage and wisdom to walk through that door and tell them about Jesus. You know what? It doesn't really matter if they want to hear it or what, if they're going to say no. What matters is the glory of Jesus, that they hear the truth of who he is. So I need your encouragement to do that. Let's encourage one another that we would share this gospel and pray that we'll reap a harvest. Because some people will say, amen, I, want, I need that. Thank you, Lord. And they'll be taken out of darkness into light. Beloved, the gospel is the greatest story ever told about the greatest person who ever lived with the greatest offer ever given. So may we together give thanks to God for the work of the gospel in our lives. May we pray for one another that God's work would continue. And may we serve one another in practical ways, tangible ways to encourage one another. And may we speak the truth about Jesus to one another and to those who do not know him for our mutual encouragement, for the salvation of the lost, and ultimately for the sake of his name, for the glory of God. Amen.